Welcome to the Max Muth Theater and Performance Podcast. This is Lindsay Behrens, and this is our year-end episode, where we gather our most frequent contributors and talk all about the best and worst of what we saw at the theater this year. If you enjoy this podcast, we would be extremely grateful if you would go to iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating and a comment. We really appreciate your feedback, and it is extremely helpful to Max Moo. Now to the show. This is the first half of a two-part episode. The second half, with listener questions, will be out next week. Enjoy the show. There are seven people around the table. These are the seven <laughs> most frequent contributors to Max Moo. But this past year, we had a lot of people involved who um, I wanted to acknowledge. Unfortunately, we I think we are at maximum capacity at this table. <laughs> I hope this works out okay. Maximum, um, maximum? But yes. Okay. I wanted to acknowledge other people who have participated and made significant contributions to the podcast, um, including Adam Grossworth, Rob Weiner-Kent, Elise CZ, I'm not going to try to pronounce her last name, Aileen McKenna, Robbie Roselle, Shavana Calder, and Laura Mata. Hell yeah. So we love you all. Um, yeah. But let's start with a round of introductions around this table. Jack. Hi, I'm Jack. Uh, I work at the Public Theater. My views remain my own. Awesome. Liz. I'm Liz. I'm Fuck Yeah, Great Plays. Dave. Hey, I'm Dave Quinn. I'm with uh, NBC New York. Nicole. Uh, Nicole from Mildly Bitters Musings. David. David Levy. Find me at reviews250.tumblr.com. And Oren. Oren Squire at New York Theater Review and Fusion. And this is Lindsay, the founder of Maximo. Welcome back. Thank you. This is like the best episode of the real world. Seven strangers <laughs> picked to live in a podcast to find out what happens when like, people stop, stop being, being nice. polite and start getting real I about think, theater. I feel like we've ceased being polite yeah. a while yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah. yeah, right. All right. So this is our year-end podcast. We're going to go through a bunch yeah. of questions for the first half, and then we accepted listener questions. Ooh. We will release them a week later. So our first question, because we have a, well, should I explain now? I'll explain later. So we, there are two shows that I think dominated a lot of our conversations this year. Uh, the first was Hamilton. We saw it in the public earlier in the year and then on Broadway in the second half of the year. It probably got a mention or two in every podcast. And there was some concern it would dominate the conversation today. Mm -hmm. The other show is Andrew Schneider's you are nowhere. You are now here, um, which I think probably is my favorite episode of the podcast ever. And someday want to release a uncut version, which is about <laughs> no. twice as long. The no. nonsense. The, no. I remember that nonsense. It was one of yeah. That was great. The hysteria, the tears. No, <laughs> it involves me just flopping onto the bed at one point, laughing <laughs> so hard at what Jackson. So I wanted to not have this conversation entirely dominated by them. So we're going to start with two questions about those shows, and then we're going to try not to mention them the rest of the podcast and talk about all the other amazing theater we saw this year. So question number one, what would you like to share about Hamilton that hasn't already been said? Jack. I'm sorry, can you say the name of the show again? <laughs> uh, it's Listen, uh, all, the only thing that I can say is, and again, this is from the views of my own kind of like perspective, but it's been a really crazy year at my day job. <laughs> And it's been a wonderful, it's, it's been an amazing thing. Uh, in addition to being a great show, it has changed the culture of the public theater in a way that has been incredibly positive. And it feels like this is what it must have felt like when Hair was here and Chorus Line and stuff. So it, it feels nice to be at that place uh, in this moment. 
Um, now that they've announced the Chicago and that there's going to be a tour and I'm sure there'll be licensing and I'm sure eventually a Hamilton Jr. Um, <laughs> I'm going to be really interested to see how the casting evolves with this show. Mm. You know, they said they're very open to women at playing the founding fathers. Who's going to be the first to do that? Who's, you know, who's going to cast that? Who's going to fuck up first and <laughs> make like a white Hamilton? I just, I'm interested to see how the casting um, evolves and who else gets to take on these roles? Cause I feel like it's become such a solid ensemble. I want to see where it goes. I think it's just been so exciting to have people who never talked to me about theater before talk to me about theater. And that's like, that's been the effect of Hamilton that I've been most excited about. You know, I have perfect strangers being like, Oh, have you seen Hamilton yet? And talking about it. And I've watched it permeate the culture references on Saturday night live. Like, are you kidding me about a musical that has no advertising out right now? It's bananas. So I'm really, uh, I'm really just excited to see how um, it breeds a whole new generation of theater goers. I'm kind of hitting the backlash stage and was actually really pleased to encounter people in London who didn't know what it was, who are big theater fans. You know, I have a lot of uh, play friend, uh, friends who love plays but don't love musicals. And they were like, I kept talking about it. And they're like, what are you talking about? Can you explain yourself? And I was like, oh, what is this pocket of the world that doesn't know? Because I'm a little, I'm a little Hamilton out. So I was going to talk about backlash in a different way. I was waiting to see like when it was going to hit, what form it was going to take. And I was really happy to see that, on, especially on Tumblr, but also in other places, that the pushback that it's getting is not like so much questioning the quality of the theater, but it's forcing people to think critically about history, how we tell history, how the history is portrayed, and what is the meaning of the signs and symbols used in this play. And that makes me so excited and happy and thrilling. That I mean, even myself, like I went out and read a book about Lafayette because which I probably would have anyway because it was Sarah Vowell wrote it and I really like her, but um, certainly I read it faster than I might have otherwise because Hamilton sort of spurred me to want to know more about these people and about who they really are to understand, um, you know, how their portrayal in this play is both reflective of history and also critical of history. And I just, that is so cool to me. I wrote an article for Fusion about Hamilton and the link to Obama because he was doing a fundraiser off of Hamilton, and it actually began in the White House's Hamilton mixtape. And I found it fascinating, the backlash, not towards Hamilton any more than there was a backlash towards Obama early on, but the backlash towards the frenzy. And I remember in 2008 when Obama first came out, I got sort of annoyed at Obama followers because it was like, oh my God, he's the greatest thing. And at a certain point, I was like, could you guys shut up? Even though I ended up voting for Obama, I just got a little bit annoyed at the frenzy. And I feel like with great success comes not only great responsibility, but also this maybe over-exaggeration in pop culture. Uh, It is a great musical. It is transformative. But I feel like uh, I'm fascinated by the reviews that are coming out now that are almost uh, parody reviews. Like, it shimmered genius off of Lin-Manuel Miranda. (laughs) And the audience crushed their phone at their feet, you know, and sprinkled the dust. And just having fun with it while still thinking it's transformative. I loved it. It was the best thing I saw last year. But just how it resonates with the audience members reacting to each other. Okay, second question. How excited are you that Andrew's You Are Nowhere You Are Now Here is coming back to New York City in the spring? Jack. I'm excited for it, obviously, because I just want to see it 11 billion more times. But more than that, I am looking forward to having another conversation with Lindsay and Nicole 
<laughs> about it because you want to talk about like my favorite theater moments of the year 2015. That was easily up there. It was just watching the two of you <laughs> freak out. Well, first of all, having the two of you force me to see it. <laughs> and like they made me being, you change your schedule. Yeah, me, and making me like really genuinely upset with you guys for like a day. And then I went, oh, I get it now. Um, so I'm looking forward to that follow-up conversation so we can all just giggle and giggle and giggle. Okay, this is great because I've been sitting on this all year. We all went and saw it together. I am the only one who didn't get to be on the episode. So you guys all sat and talked about it. And I was listening to my airplane. I know! I know! <laughs> at the podcast over and over. And I haven't had a chance to talk about it. And guys, he's talked to me. And you whispered in my ear. Oh my and I didn't God, to yes. talk about it on the podcast. It's really been upsetting me. So I can't wait to see it again so I can actually talk about it with everybody. Because I really, I've been sitting on this for like months. I'm so like glad you got that out. This is definitely theater therapy as we intended it to be when we started it, Nicole. All right. Just one note. Do not touch the table. Just because some people have their mics on it. So just don't touch the table. Okay. Dave. Well, this is the episode of the real world where you guys get in a fight with me because I haven't seen it. Do you know what it is? I don't even know what it is. I figured. <laughs> so I really apologize. This is the the Broadway beat of NBC New York, the, the focus of my life having to be in the great white way. And I completely, I have no idea what it is. I've completely missed it. I'm excited to see it and to go back and listen to that episode of the podcast. It takes all types and we cannot wait to introduce you to it. I will, I will see myself out. <laughs> Nicole. Um, yeah, no, I think, you know, I saw, I saw it in January with you at Coil, and then over the summer I did a road trip up to the Berkshires to see it again. Um, so like, I feel like I'm a solid devotee of the work. I really was tempted to go to France when he was touring it around in French, um, with crazy subtitles and all sorts, but I didn't, I, I held back. So I feel like, you know, I'm growing as an adult, as a person, <laughs> as a theater fan. David? I also missed the show the first time around, although I am aware of it. Um, so, Ouch. Dave and I will go together. <laughs> I caught that shade you threw at me. I caught um, it. No, so we're going to go together when we have... When, do we know what are the details of like when and where it's coming back? I not yet, I believe... Oh, March. Yes, although I think most of that is not public yet. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I've also been Nicole's friend for like three years and never seen Daniel Kitson, so like I'm sometimes a little bit behind on everyone else's favorites. <laughs> What were the dates that it premiered? You said during the summer. I wasn't here, but what else? Uh, no, it was at Coil in January of this year, and then um, and then it was in the Berkshires in June. Okay, I knew it existed. I knew of it. I was offered to review it, and I just didn't go. <gasps> I didn't okay. know who this person was. Okay. It, okay. it looked interesting. It's fair. We okay. all make mistakes. We were all innocents <laughs> once, too. Okay. Yeah. All right, off to a good start. I just missed it. <laughs> Next question. I will if, see it. If you had relatives, smart ones who enjoy good theater, coming to town for the holidays, what show currently playing in New York City would you recommend? Let's start with Liz. Okay. Um, well, it sucks because I was going to say Songbird because my family would have loved that show, um, but it closed. So I'm going to go with The Flick. Like, I feel like it's, it's not the typical choice, but my family likes doing off-Broadway. I think it's a great story. I think they would enjoy it. And it would be just a little out of the comfort zone for them, but not enough to be scared. I'm not taking them to Andrew Schneider, for example. They would love Andrew Schneider. No, they would not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, they would not. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, 
I really thought everyone was going to talk about Funding Neverland at this time, right? <laughs> no, okay. Um, I have been recommending uh, Spring Awakening a lot to people because I think that this revival is really beautiful and I love the way um, it tells the story on a new level. So if there are people who saw it on Broadway before, I think it's a really great revival because it opens the world up to something that maybe they hadn't seen the first time around. I also think it's one of those shows that leaves you feeling like you saw something that did something better for the world. And I know that sounds kind of strange, but um, it's not, it's nice to see a show during the holiday season where you feel like you're opening your mind up to something new. So a lot of people don't really understand or spend a lot of time, I think, understanding or trying to understand rather uh, American Sign Language and what it might be like for someone who's deaf to, to struggle with that. And I think that it's, um, it's a really powerful show. And I loved it. And I talked a lot about it on the podcast when I was on that episode. So, um, yeah, that's what I've been recommending a lot to people. Um, well, I'm going to go with King Charles III for the adventurous, traditionalist family that comes to town. Um, I think there are more traditional shows and I think there are more adventurous shows, but I think it's a kind of a nice hybrid of the two where it's like pushes you a little out of your comfort zone, but at the same time kind of makes you feel like I'm going to see a grand old play. Um, because it's just this really smart and funny, interesting look at power and duty and all of the sort of ideas that come up in Shakespeare that I think I've always struggled with to understand really like to really feel and I think it ends up allowing you to feel what sort of a contemporary audience to Shakespeare would have felt in sort of understanding the roles of um, the monarchy and things like that. Uh, I can't sit next to Nicole at these because she keeps stealing my answers. <laughs> uh, but I had a second answer, which is the actual show that I brought relatives to last week, which is Too Much Light Makes the Baby Go Blind at the New York Neo-Futurists. Um, because at, at first cousins who were coming to town from Maine and they had... They were like, I on Broadway, and like, despite my best efforts, they went to see Phantom of the Opera and Kinky Boots. But we went out for dinner the night that they didn't have tickets, and then we were done with dinner. We're like, all right, like, what else are we going to do in the, in the city now? And I was like, I don't know. What do people do? <laughs> um, and I, we went to Too Much Light, and even though the three of us were the three oldest people in the room, like, they loved it. They were able to like, feel cool that they saw East Village performance art. Um, and, and that's the kind of show that has something for everyone. And you know, it's funny, but it also makes you think, and it just and, and none of the segments go on for more than two minutes. So, like, even if there's a moment that's like a little awkward or uncomfortable, like it passes. <laughs> Saying Elijah Sons Pike Street is probably one of the best things I saw last year, and I don't like one person shows usually. And she just uh, revealed a whole world that I don't normally think that much about in the Lower East Side. Um, just through simple lighting of Clint Ramos, I think, and a few sound designs, a completely transformative play, people crying at the end, you're laughing, the use of music, and it was just uh, one of the best things I've seen easily in a long time. Cool. Those all sound great. Okay, next question. What was your favorite moment at the theater this year? Dave, I'll start with you. Okay, well, this actually happened just last week, and Nicole was around to witness it, too. Um, I went to see this stunning revival of The Color Purple, and I um, cried my face off 
for two hours approximately. But um, it was really in the curtain call that I think um, cemented it as the best moment that I've had in the theater because everyone was crying in the audience, but everyone was crying on stage and the applause lasted for most likely five to six minutes. And the actors were just standing there sobbing themselves, taking in the gratitude from the standing ovation and the audience and feeling the connection that we were all had told this really, they had just told this really powerful piece and we were all right there with them. Um, it was transcendent. I absolutely adored this production and, uh, and it was therapeutic to cry that much. And I was standing next to Adam Lambert, which was also a really weird thing. Was he also crying? He was also crying (laughs) and like wiping his tears with his like long scarf that he had around his neck. Um, So that was also like a really fun experience because I was like, what's up, Adam Lambert? And then then halfway through, I was like, oh, yeah, they were both on American Idol and they both lost. But look at them now. And it was just that was weird. Anyway, I, I loved the show and highly recommend seeing that revival as well. Look at them now. He's watching her. <laughs> Transformative. He's sitting next to He's you. crying too. Thinking, why am I not on Broadway? I mean, I mean he did tour with Queen this yeah, year. It's he's, not like he's... he's doing pretty well for himself, yeah, for okay. sure. I'm joking. <laughs> but yeah, no, that, it was phenomenal. And it, it was also amazing because Nicole liked it. <laughs> <laughs> Which, who would have thought? I was a little skeptical going in. Like, yeah. you know, I'm not a usual gospel, like, or John Doyle person. fan. Or, or John, John Doyle, Doyle fan, fan, that's for sure. I know, he had a lot to make up for. Yeah, but you cried too. I did cry. I cried. So a lot. it's not just me. I mean, I'm pretty sappy, but that. No, 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 no. Everybody was crying. It broke the cold, icy heart of Nicole. <laughs> it's true. It's true. I melted. <laughs> Okay, so my favorite moment at the theater this year, um, I'm going to go with... Uh, you're, you're fine, David, this one. No, I, I know. I picked one that I don't think you saw. Right, right. Well, I'm picking one from Berlin. So oh, unless okay. you, <laughs> you went as well. Um, I And I don't... I try to stick to New York stuff, but this was just such a crazy moment because I was, like, jet-lagged. I went to Berlin. I saw a show the first night at the Volksbühne Theater, and it was this piece called Kill Your Darlings, The Streets of Berladelphia. And I had no idea what it was about. It's a new piece... It was all in German. There were no subtitles. And at some point, there was a rainstorm on stage. And the actor said something. And people in the audience just started like coming down to the stage and taking their clothes off and slip sliding across the stage. <laughs> and I was like, what the hell's happening? Welcome to Germany. <laughs> and it was kind of this incredible, like, and people were just totally casual about it. And like, and, sitting there thinking like as a lawyer in my head I'm like oh my god people are gonna get injured they're sliding across the stage it's all wet oh my god and no it didn't matter like everybody was just like this joyous totally random relaxed moment in the theater and like a big like imagine in like a big main stage American theater where they're like yeah come up on stage and get naked (laughs) that wouldn't happen well it happened with uh the rude mex oh yeah that's true yeah Oh, skin diseases. I would be so paranoid of all the sorts of... <laughs> of all the things skin to be paranoid diseases. about? Like, <laughs> I don't think that makes my top 100. <laughs> yeah, well, you don't know where that rainwater has been. I mean... <laughs> yeah, there's so many skin diseases people have they don't know about. <laughs> I used to be a wrestler. I'm serious. Like, all wrestlers have, like, tons of skin diseases. Well, no, the, the more you know. To the a, more you know. Um, Department of Health webpage about skin diseases. <laughs> Um, so mine, I had a hard time picking just one, but I'm going to go with the Honeycomb Trilogy, which was this epic, like, nine-hour day of theater consisting of three, um, three plays that were, uh, that were sort of merged science fiction with living room drama. And in particular, in the third play, like, you know, eight hours into this experience, 
uh, there's a climactic moment that calls back to something that seemed fairly inconsequential from the first play. It was just one of those, like, when everything sort of snapped into place and it felt like felt like it totally rewarded you for seeing them all together and all one one um one marathon day and it's just like it was so great even though the shows are closed and i don't know if there's any plan to to bring them back here or to do them elsewhere like i'm purposely being a little bit uh obscure about this because i hope that some of our listeners will get a chance to experience these shows somewhere somehow and uh i don't want to spoil it Mm. mac rogers i heart mac rogers (laughs) Uh, for me it's take care which is at the flea right now half of it is audience participation so it really depends on who you're with it's very college theater experiment where you get up on stage and express an opinion. And the person I saw it with was angry and aggravated by that. Some of the people in the audience sort of rolled their eyes, but it dealt with racism, privilege, and also the environment in these ways. And afterwards, we ended up having this very long conversation, and then we went somewhere else and had a long conversation. And it changed not in the way of like we were all crying, but it changed the way because we were forced to participate in theater, examine these issues, and then apply them to our life, and then stage them in a minimalist way in front of other people. And it had three different levels of active participants, course participants, which I was a part of, and then voyeurs, which my friend was a part of, and he still had to participate. He didn't know. Uh, and it really, uh, I don't see theater like that anymore. Jack? The, for me, the, the best moment I had at a theater uh, was a production of Hands Up at National Black Theater. And the reason I bring it up is because, one, it was just one of the best shows uh, I saw. It was essentially six monologues um, sort of reacting to what at the time was the beginning of the groundswell of Black Lives Matter. And the reason it was exciting was not just because it was great, but also because theater is, is great at a lot of things. One of the things it's not always great at and the sort of the theater system of America is designed for this, it's not terribly nimble. It doesn't, there's, there's very few opportunities to actually engage with something that's happening literally right now. Um, you, you know, we'll, we'll get all of our Black Lives Matter plays in like a year. You know, that's how slow these things tend to um, make their way to an audience. But this was a moment where six writers uh, called up Jonathan McCrory at the National Black Theater and said, we gotta say something about this. We have something to say. And they just picked a couple of weekends and they just threw up the, they, these pieces were written very quickly and with a lot of sort of unprocessed emotion, but it was gorgeous. And it was amazing to sit in a theater where something that was happening literally outside of those four walls was being discussed. And therefore it was easily the most cathartic and difficult and engaging and challenging evening I'd, I'd spent at a theater this year. And it made me realize, Oh, this is what theater can feel like when it is nimble, when it is, sort of like thrown together to respond to something um and it was just uh i don't know it it was very inspiring i'm gonna go the ending sequence of big love at signature um (laughs) where there were penises chopped off and there were barbies and blenders and there was dancing and screaming and throwing people on the floor for like an uncomfortably long time and it was amazing and watching everyone the joy in everyone's faces and the confusion <laughs> and then the wait they're still doing this like where else is this going to go oh they're going to start painting what are they like it just kept evolving and it was just so over the top and wonderful and weird and just made me so happy at the end of it um and then i met the prop person for this show and i was like <gasps> you made all the fake penises <laughs> and he was like 
yes, that's that's my job. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And you didn't even have to go to Berlin. Like, that's yeah, the crazy thing about this. Nice work. Yeah. <laughs> For only $25. <laughs> that's a steal. All right. Next question, potentially more controversial. What was your worst moment at the theater this year, Nicole? Okay. I, it was like a toss up between two. I mean, there was that time that I was the only audience member in a shipping container. <laughs> that is vicariously my worst moment. <laughs> yeah, I'm going with that. But, but actually, like, the but you theater like that was show, good. Right. right. So I feel like that can't actually be the worst moment. I think the worst moment is the show that I described to people as the dead mom in a closet show. <laughs> I um, remember this. Which is a one on one piece of theater called I Worried My Heart Wasn't Big Enough. Um, that I saw in Edinburgh that involves you walking into, you know, a small room being dressed as this woman's dead mother going through like her scrapbooks and then just like watching videos of her like kid running around. And you're supposed to like sit there and sort of like, Oh my God, it's my granddaughter. And I was so annoyed by the whole thing. And I was like, whatever, fine. This isn't a show for me. But then at the end in sort of the doorknob moment of the show, she asks you to give a piece of your grief to her as sort of a like trade and I thought it was so, it was really offensive and really um, unfair and, and, and just not what like the spirit, like the piece to like, all right, fine. You want to do your grief. I've experienced your grief. Fine. This is how you process it. But like, oh, if you really want a piece of my grief, then we need to sit back down and have a whole other conversation. But it wasn't meant to be that. It was like, oh, just tell me about a little death in your family and then like leave and have a cookie. And I was like, fuck you, lady. Like, no, like we get, you know, if we're going to sit and talk equivalence of grief, then like you need to give me a space for that. And that wasn't like, it's a one-on-one show. And like th- there should be sort of a balance, I think, and sort of what you're asking from your audience for in, in that sense and she didn't really make space for it and I really found that like obnoxious so that's probably my worst moment at the theater so I, I also have a toss up to two and I'm not sure which is worse like the one where you're so bored or the one where you're like kind of offended um, <laughs> we'll go with kind of offended which is um, so I went to a very early preview of something rotten and when the curtain dropped at the end of the first act, it just like, I could not contain myself. And I just like blurted out to the people I was with, like, it is 2015. Why do I have to sit through a show that's using like coded gay insinuation as a way to mark out who the villain is? And I was like, so pissed off about that at a show that is allegedly about like the birth of musical theater where the only gay character is the villain. Like, come the fuck on. Um, but it's also a worst moment of the theater for me because like, I'm not proud of the way that that just came like spilling out of me, like in the middle of this theater in an early preview surrounded by like friends of the production. Um, I'm sure I came off as a total asshole to some of the people sitting around me, uh, but better be the asshole than to be the homophobe who puts that on stage. Wow. <laughs> That's uh, cut a lot of that actually. Cause yeah. I went back and saw oh, yeah. it recently. Yeah. And a lot okay. of that is gone. They've removed a lot of that for sure, but I heard a lot of, and that was my frustration with finding Neverland when there was just a gay joke in the middle of the family musical. <laughs> and I was like, the fuck? Anyway, sorry. Speaking out of turn, I didn't. Maybe they cut it by the time I saw that. Yeah. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, there's like ha- oh, and finding Everland. No, or and in- for uh, something rotten. Yeah. Um, although there is the hint of gayness, and I didn't even think about that because I thought it was just like he's not necessarily the villain. By the time I saw it, he was just more the antagonist. But it changed. It changed. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It felt like Sally Lloyd Closet 101 to me. Yeah, I think the worst moment is either. My white male weeks where just unintentionally I just saw a bunch of plays and they would just be by all white men. And this happened repeatedly throughout 
2015, and Romantic Language and Ars Nova, which you look at the title, you look at the photo, it's like purple background, these three white people standing there, and you think, oh, this is going to be a parody of something like a romance novel. It's going to be a joke. There's going to be some insidery. And no, it is a earnest drama about an older woman falling in love with her Italian language instructor. And I sat there waiting for the joke. It's at Ars Nova, <laughs> thinking like, this is going to be some joke eventually. And it was just a really bad drama where you could see everything that was going to happen five minutes into the show. And I had to sit there. I couldn't leave. Joke's on you. The joke was on me. <laughs> they probably get like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to option that for the Hallmark Channel. <laughs> Maybe. I was just so surprised that that was at Ars Nova. I'm sure they rented out their space. So that's not through their artistic staff, but it took me by surprise. That's and the funny. white male weeks didn't take me by surprise, which is kind of sad. It's funny that the the space that it's in influences the way you think the show's going to go. Because exactly. I believe you describe it to me. I go, oh, well, it's Ars Nova. It's going to be a little more winky nudgy, but I guess not. No winks. Straight up. Old woman falling in love with her Italian instructor. Oh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I am going to, if I could, uh, touch the table, I would throw down my conflict of interest card, uh, because I don't want to talk, uh, about specific shows, um, out of turn, because I, uh, work with some of the people who have made some of the worst moments in theater, um, <laughs> this year, um, you know, in, in various ways, or like, I know people who, anyway, so, um, so allow me a moment to throw up my smoke and mirrors to talk sort of at an angle about, um, a couple of shows by just saying that the, the worst moments of the theater for me were not the, you know, the white male weeks necessarily. It wasn't just that in the broad sense. It, was, it is the, the trend I saw in the parading and peacocking of white male auteur privilege in theater. And by that I mean it's not just that, yes, there's an overwhelming number of shows that come to us uh, from uh, the talents of straight white men, but that that is worn as that 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 identity is uh, wielded as a weapon in a way that uh, that makes think there's an implication with certain shows i saw that like misogyny is okay and homophobia is okay some of this other basically a lot of the stuff that has been said already and to see that paraded even now when i feel like the the conversation around theater and white male privilege is starting to make an important turn to still see that basically parading down broadway um, made me uh, want to stab my eyes out with like the tiniest possible needles. Um, so that's all I'll say. I, there's there. <laughs> talk to me. Talk to me uh, off the record, and I'll tell you what shows I'm talking about. I um, think I know a few. <laughs> but um, but that was the moment that made me squirm. I think I misunderstood the question, y'all, because um, I didn't name a show. Um, I saw two different shows this year where an audience member in front of me took off their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Liz. <laughs> One of them, it was especially bad because the guy, I think I even took a picture. <laughs> I, I've seen his feet. Um, this guy, and he took his shoes off, his bare feet, and he puts his feet up over and onto the oh. armrest oh, of oh, the seat in front of him. Oh. It was terrible. And I took a picture because I just couldn't believe that someone was doing that. And then, bonus, that guy also had a, uh, a fan that he kept <laughs> flicking open. It was summer. So you hear this... <laughs> <laughs> and then you would close it again, and then you'd hear it again. Oh my god, it was just the worst. The ghost of Truman Capote. It was. It was. It was a little. And this was like not at an outdoor space or no, anything. No, 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 where no. That, this like, was inside ugh. in a theater. It was bad. 
So that was my worst moment at the theater. I think that's a totally valid answer to that Ooh, question. Yeah. <laughs> but that's how I we first met, though. My- <laughs> <laughs> Nicole and I saw this Marina Abramovich thing over at the Armory oh, the yeah. other day. Yeah. I almost took my shoes off at that. It was so comfy. You're in like a lounge chair listening to a guy play the Goldberg variations. <laughs> it's really dark. I was oh. like, I, you know. I want to take my shoes off. <laughs> I Is this what Utah did to you? Is that- I think I, that's only okay if they're like putting you in beanbag chairs. Like, <laughs> I didn't because I think I recalled you saying <laughs> you should not do that. You not take your theater. shoes off in the theater. I feel like Marina Abramovich would have been happy for you to yes. do it, but that's Liz true. would have been very upset. That's true. Then again, yeah. I'm a staunch defender of like flip flops and shorts at the theater, which I know is controversial. So maybe I'm I fine, fine with that if you c- keep your feet covered and please don't put them on the armrest. No. Ew. Uh, feet are disgusting. They were also beachy <laughs> chairs. Like we were sitting in these like kind of shezzy, loungy, like beach hammock chairs, really. Yeah. I can see I can see the temptation there. Yeah. But still. I watched I walked over twenty thousand steps on my Fitbit that day. So I was <laughs> you tired. deserved a break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think a lot about what David was saying about that that battle between offensive or boring mm-hmm. when it comes to bad theater. Um, I, I almost feel like I would rather be offended because at least you're trying to say something. And I have this overall mantra that I say a lot, which is don't waste my time Broadway. Um, I, I don't have a lot of it. And to go see a show that's just not saying anything is really frustrating for me. So my worst moment at the theater this year encompasses that it was actually pretty recent. I did something that I've never done before, which is leave it intermission because I just couldn't take it anymore. Watch out, watch out. And that was seeing Al Pacino. (laughs) I'm impressed they got you in the door. And I have to tell you, I mean, I'm I'm very torn about this because I was excited to see Al Pacino on stage. I never saw him on stage before. I missed the Merchant of Venice. Um, I don't technically am not like a huge fan of his, but it was like, oh, this is somebody who's important. I should see him on stage. And he sat there with a Bluetooth in his ear, which was most likely feeding him lines and just talked to himself for the first hour of the show. And I'm sure that's what the second hour was. He's on the phone the entire time having a one-sided conversation, yelling about something that I did not give a fuck about. It was awful. It was so bad. And as offensive as it is, I know to have phones ring in the theater, I think it's way more offensive to have someone loudly snoring, which is what was happening in the middle of the orchestra. (laughs) And everyone on stage, which is Al Pacino and some other dude who was just standing there doing nothing. Uh, noticed and it was i was like that's because this is boring and bad theater and you're wasting everyone's time no one wants to be here right now because they thought they were coming to see something interesting that had something to say about something fuck you david mamet fuck you al pacino fuck you broadway for putting this on stage i was really annoyed by it that is definitely the episode's poll quote (laughs) (laughs) wow Fuck you, fuck you Broadway. Dave Quinn. Let me see you. And they'll be with that. You had to. You had I to. Have to. Well, this funny, Orin, I was re- I was listening to last year's episode, and we had a lot of Labute hate, and there was like not there's no Labute to kick around. We, this well, year. we've also learned yeah, twelve we, shows last year. Exactly. Well, <laughs> I think there was a lot this year. We just but didn't we go. selected we out. Yeah, we will yeah. not. Yeah. Well, duh. <laughs> oh. I would also like to take this moment to remind everyone that the opinions of me do not measure the opinions of NBC News. NBC News did not believe fucking Broadway. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay, I'm going to combine the next two questions just because we're running a little long on time. And feel free to give your dual answer. I don't care. But the questions are, what was your favorite non-traditional, for example, immersive, experimental, outdoors piece? And what was your favorite non-theater performance, cabaret, music, comedy, etc.? So starting with David. All right. So my favorite non-traditional, which is not going to be a surprise to anyone around this table or who listens, is Kapawi Gogo, which was the four and a half hour um, epic comedy play that took on the tropes of Saturday morning cartoons and video games and uh, anime and like card trading games um, to just create a massive uh, immersive story that was simultaneously like hilarious and, and moving. And I was so glad that I got to see that early enough that I then got to send lots and lots and lots of other people to see it. Um, so, uh, that's, that, that was one of my real true highlights of the theater year for me. I'm going to go with Charlie Francis Chan Jr.'s exotic oriental murder mystery. I hope I got that name right Mm -hmm. by Lloyd Sue. And, uh, also at BAM, their new wave festival of dance, uh, Yajimbe, which is a Burkini Faso, uh, choreographer and dancer, Soleana Badola. And those two pieces, I thought, were completely transformative. Number one, I haven't seen a good uh, satire about race in years. And the exotic oriental murder mystery combined not only the satire of how Asians are portrayed in media, but it actually followed through with the characters. Even though I really like Octoroon, it didn't do that. Like, the whole second half collapses. And there's no mention of the most interesting character, which is the author, at the, at the very end. Uh, in Lloyd Sue's play, it completely follows through with not only the author who's writing the play, the characters who are in it, as well as the white guy who's in Asian face. There's a transformative moment where even though he's mocking Asian culture, something happens in its performance and it becomes a tribute in a, in a strange way. And it sounds hard to say. It's like a tribute to Asian culture. And then it goes back to mocking it. And there were so many beautiful transformative moments of like speaking a fake Asian slang, and then it becomes something real and powerful. And then talking back to the audience and demanding participation. And uh, at BAM's New Wave Festival, just an amazing group of dancers from around the world, youth theater in Taiwan. Uh, this guy, uh, Badolo, who I'm not going to pronounce his name again because I think I got it right the first time. Uh, but Yajembe means new beginnings, and it was about his transition from Burkini Faso to Brooklyn and these two cultures blending together and using percussion, water percussion, as well as three or four different dancers. They were speaking in French as well as more language. I didn't understand what they were saying, but I knew what they were saying, even though I didn't, couldn't translate it. Uh, and so if you can get to BAM and see any of their New Way Festival, I would definitely suggest that. And hopefully Lloyd Sue's play is going to be done again. I hope so. That's, I love that play as well. Um, I'm going to talk about, actually I'm going to stick to Cabaret um, rather than talk about Immersive Theater and just talk about Shakina Nifak, who um, is uh, a trans cabaret performer um, who also uh, is the artistic director of the Musical Theater Factory, which is a relatively-ish new sort of um, laboratory space um, for the cultivation um, of new young musical theater writers. And she's doing amazing work with that. Um, but I particularly want to talk about last year, uh, Shakina uh, 
as I said, is trans and has been sort of doing cabaret shows for years about the experience of growing up um, and coming out as trans, and then actually went to uh, go get gender reassignment surgery, or in her words, go get my vag, earlier this year um, in Thailand. And when she came back, she did a show about it called Post Op, which was done at the Musical Theater Factory as well as at Joe's Pub. And at the Wild Project. And at the Wild Project, yeah. And um, and the thing that I really was struck me was just because I had followed her stories and be, followed her journey, I was very excited to go see the, the Post Op show. And what I found about it was that it was... You know, it was her sort of like very campy, very brassy sort of cabaret sense of humor, but it was also incredibly emotionally vulnerable. It actually was the first time I'd ever heard um, a trans artist talk about the actual process of gender reassignment surgery and what is required of you physically, emotionally, mentally in order to go through with it and how that connects to one one's own sense of identity that is in some senses sort of outside the body to kind of unite those. Uh, and of course, through lovely songs, all of which were written by um, uh, young composers who are part of the musical theater factory family. So it was just this wonderful sort of like, you know, uh, full circle moment um, of, of seeing her perform the show. I hope she gets to do it again because it was just it was fabulous and moving and funny and and all the things um so i want to talk about the blind date project which i saw earlier in the year i thought it was wonderful i would go see it over and over this woman improvises a, a short play with a different actor that's a surprise to her every night and the other actor has a cell phone where they're receiving in within the scene directions from an outside uh director on how this date is supposed to go and I, I'm a sucker. I love watching first dates. I think they're amazing and weird. And I love all the awkwardness that happens within that. So I would watch that show over and over with whoever came through. Um, but it leads into, I see a lot of comedy shows and I don't really get a chance to talk about them on here. So I want to just plug um, Murder Fist. They're not for everybody. They're sort of like Marx Brothers doing acid. <laughs> um, and I've taken a lot of people to Murder Fist <laughs> shows and they hate it. But I... <laughs> fucking love them they're so much fun yeah you can come okay um like fake church they improvise an entire church service with hymns lecterns i want to go to that one yeah Yeah, we'll go to that one that one's really great um bitch seat which is another one uh lisa mandel interviews uh comedians and they bring on their poems songs uh short movies scripts etc that they wrote when they were preteens and teenagers (laughs) and they perform them gorgeous uh, it's one of the funniest things you'll see. Um, yeah, and I saw Asking for It, which is sort of theater, but I saw it in a comedy space, which I, I talked about a long time uh, on the last episode. So, yeah, I, I saw a bunch of great comedy this year. I know some of you are scared of improv, but um, there is some good stuff out there. I know you guys are shocked to hear this, but I do not see a lot of <laughs> cabaret comedy, you know, experimental immersive theater. I Although think you've got the- a cabaret... More than other people around this day. Right? I don't know. I'm not sure I do. I see like maybe two or three a year tops. Oh. Um, I mean, the most immersive theater experience I had this season was the viewing party I had for the Wiz Live. <laughs> <laughs> pretty sure it doesn't count. Um, but I did see uh, something kind of strange. Uh, so I went to Elsie Fest this year, which if you guys may remember, was that like outdoor musical um like Coachella for theater thing that they did. And, um, and there was a lot of, amongst all of it, but, uh, I really, 
absolutely fell in love with Leslie Odom Jr. set. I mean, it was like, uh, it's the first time that I've actually seen him perform not singing songs in a show or not singing songs on Smash. Um, I think he's super talented. He did things with songs that I've heard a thousand times before that made them sound both new and unique. And he is just clearly a huge star. And this is like his moment. And it was kind of amazing to see that. And it made me discover and and download and buy his... Um, his self-titled debut album, which is really fantastic and I've been listening to nonstop as well. So I think that that set at that venue was probably my favorite outdoor weird thing that I saw. That counts. That counts, right? Yeah. Kind of backdoored in there, but I got it. Um, Okay. So I think for me, one of the most fun um, non-traditional experiences I had was uh, Daddy Warbucks, Please Adopt Me by Erin Markey, which was the Annie walking tour that she conducts, fake Annie walking tour that she conducts through Williamsburg. And I believe it's coming back. She's doing a Kickstarter and I noticed that, you know, free tickets to the next, you know, um, version of it. So I assume it'll be back in the spring. Um, But I think if you've ever... Um, sort of obsessed about the movie Annie, not the musical, the movie Annie, and ever wanted to sing in public all the songs from Annie with a group of strangers in Williamsburg where everybody walking their dog is looking at you. This is absolutely the piece of street theater that you should participate in. That's just David's day. Oh my God, I so need to go to that. Will you put a link to the Kickstarter <laughs> in the description of this episode? <laughs> uh, so I, I just like signaled it, Lindsay, that I realized there was one other thing that I wanted to talk about that I... Um, skip when we did the first go around which is contemporary color which was david burns um color guard slash indie music extravaganza that played toronto and then played at the barclay center in brooklyn um and it was so much better than i even anticipated based on the description um each each of like a dozen different i, I think all of the color guards are affiliated with high schools like there were young people so talented putting on these like fully realized artistic pieces that each one had like one of them was Hitchcock based and one of them was like, you know, very much played with color. And one of them very much played with ideas of space. And like, they just, they were so much more interesting and clever than I had ever anticipated as someone who like did high school marching band um, combined with just really top notch artists from like across the music scene, everyone from like, uh, St. Vincent to Nico Muley. Uh, it was, it was so great. It seemed like there were a lot of cameras there when I saw it. So I'm like hoping and praying that this shows up either on PBS or like at one of those, um, like expensive days at the cinema kind of thing. Cause I would totally go see it again. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that totally fits into this category. All right. Next question. What was the best musical you saw this year or in and we're not talking about Hamilton. Okay. Um, I will say it's either the revival of The King and I or Fun Home were the two best things that I saw. Fun Home, I was standing for only 90 minutes, and uh, some of my friends really loved it. Some of them hated it. Uh, what? Because I, these were also friends who weren't, born in america so they didn't get a lot of the references Uh. and you don't realize how many references there are to like 70s 80s culture i i was born in america and i did get them and it was extremely moving for a play that you know the ending to at the very beginning and you know how it's going to turn out 
uh, but the music was great, probably only second to Hamilton. And uh, The King and I was just a luscious old school musical with a full orchestra. You don't really get a chance to see that that often. And like a reprise at the top of the second act, what do they call that? Overture at the top of the second act they did. And it was, it was nice to see an old school musical. Cool. Um, I'm going to go with Preludes um, by Dave Malloy, which played at LCT3 this year. Um, and uh, I, there's some silent, some silent protests happening over there. Silent I know, scream. I know, I know that this was a, this was a divisive musical, so it might come as a bit of a surprise. Um, I loved it. It's a, it's a musical uh, about Sergei Rachmaninoff, um, and Dave Malloy's score uh, is sort of there are original songs that he's written, but it's riffing off of Rachmaninoff's music, and then there are a couple of pieces that are actually Rachmaninoff music, and it takes place with in Rachmaninoff's mind uh, it sort of is spun off of this little detail in his biography where after his career took a precipitous fall um, he started meeting with this uh, psychotherapist um, who um, hypnotized him and taught him sort of these relaxation techniques so it takes place within sort of like Rachmaninoff's fever dreams a lot of times and like the last quarter of the musical is this crazy like I felt hypnotized by what the lights and sets and actors were doing um, if you I am not a classical music person at all and I was completely swept away by the musical virtuosity um, of both Rachmaninoff and Dave Malloy I was just completely blown away by it um, I'm sad that it uh, ran um, only as long as it did because I wish more people could have seen it the CD is coming out very soon hurrah then good yeah so once again, I saw like five musicals this year. So I have a small pool and one of them was Hamilton. So we cut that out. Uh, so I'm going to go with Your Love, Our Musical. Hey. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know it's not like the first thing, the funny part, but when I was going through the, I don't know, six musicals that I saw this year, <laughs> um, I thought, well, that's the one I'd want to go back and see. Like I was really excited by it. It was fun. It was a little weird. Um, and I still sing the, the English boy German heart song that they made up uh, the night that I was there. So they're good. I interpreted this as best new musical, so I kind of stripped all those revivals out of my mind. And I did see Fun Home last year when it was off Broadway, so I stripped that out too. And I'm going to give a controversial pick as well. I'm going to go with Lazarus. It was weird as fuck, and it is exactly what I wanted from a David Bowie musical. Like, I wasn't expecting, you know, to get... Jersey boys here or anything like that. I wanted something super weird. Um, I completely understood everything that was happening the entire way through. And at the end of it, I was like, I have no idea what just happened, which is, I think exactly what they were going for. I thought the performances were, um, really beautiful, especially Kristen Milioti, who was just doing things up there that I've never seen from her before. And I have rarely seen from other actors. Um, I like Michael C. Hall a bunch. I think he was kind of perfect for it. Um, and it was great to see a show in New York Theater Workshop. Um, it reminded me of when I saw Once There, it just kind of had that feeling of this is something special and different and weird and fun and great, and it should be seen by more people. So I really loved it. Oh, good. I just spent a lot of money to get tickets for January. Yeah. Right. I don't I, know if everyone feels that way. I just but... saw it last night, and I, I can sort of get behind I have a couple of issues with it. Yeah, I mean, um, it's but, not perfect by any means. Yeah, but Kristen Bellotti singing changes, like, Killed me. Loved yeah, it. it. Wonderful. Was really beautiful. Okay. Um, I feel like, I mean, I love Fun Home. I've loved it from the workshop all the way through to Broadway, and I've loved it more in each iteration. So I could go on forever on Fun Home, but like, I think everyone knows that I love it. So I'm going to go and just sort of pull out another one because I feel like 
not that many people saw it, and I really hope it comes back, but it was the Daniel Fish production of Oklahoma. Mm. The mm-hmm. super weirdo. With the chili. With the chili and the cornbread. Um, sort of immersive-y. I mean, it made me see that musical completely anew, which I didn't think was possible with Oklahoma. Well, they also like rewrote the ending, right? No. That, no, that, that's, they staged the ending in a very different way, which makes you look at the ending differently. Okay. I, I didn't see it, but from what people were telling me, it sounded like they changed a major plot point. Like uh, on the level of like when when George Lucas retouched Star Wars. Right, right. No, I think actually, though, as much as I think people feel it's different, I think it's actually still following the text. It's just they staged it in a different way. So like essentially your point of view is, you know, Mm -hmm. um, who does Han Solo shoot? Rito. 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 Sorry. I'm sorry. I had a moment. I'm old, you guys. Uh, Nicole Um, has a film degree. (laughs) I also have a Millennium Falcon in my house. I have two of them, actually, but it's fine. You guys, aging is real. So. Um, but yeah, so you're seeing it from the point of view okay. of Greedo. So it becomes a very different view of those events. Oh, my God. I want to now stage Oklahoma with Star Wars characters. <laughs> and chili. And chili and cornbread. Critical to the entire endeavor. Um, but yeah, I think there was just something about the way in which they obviously reorchestrated the entire piece, the way in which that show was changed by uh, really just kind of stripping it down and looking at the parts and really questioning sort of American history and how we look at American history through musicals. All right, so... I have very mixed feelings about this question because I could answer like, what is the best musical I saw this year? And like, I mean, I, I, in prep for this, I made a top 10 list and Hamilton was the only musical that made it onto that list for this year. Um, And then I, as a runner up, there were two shows that I saw for a second or third time this year, but we're not from this season that were among my favorites. Those were fun home and Hedwig. Mm -hmm. But like in terms of stuff that premiered this year, that's not Schmamilton. Um, like there were things I liked, but there was not a lot that I loved. And I kind of want to go on a rant about like write better shows, people stage more adventuresome stuff. Theaters like I'm like uh, maybe other than Dave around this table, like I'm the musicals guy. And I only had one out of my top 11 shows that that qualifies. And we're not allowed to talk about it because we talk about it too much. Like, ee. Um, so like, you know, I like School of Rock a lot, but like, is that the best show I saw? No. no, no. And like. <laughs> It is not. Ah, so like, and, and uh, you know, I haven't seen Color Purple, and I haven't seen Spring Awakening, and uh, but like, uh, I mean, like, it, it, there are a lot of shows that I found a lot to admire about, and that I, um, but none that I feel like I can wholeheartedly endorse in the way that I feel like this question wants me to. So I feel like I've let you down, but I feel like I've been let down. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident. I've seen the readings and workshops of musicals, and it is very homogenous. Very, very young people who need to actually live a life, go somewhere, travel, and the stories that they're writing aren't deeply felt emotionally. But they're 22, fresh out of Yale, and they're trying to write a musical, and it's just not working. And I feel it, and they feel it too, and we all like smile and lie. Which I wish- is why Fun Home and like Hamilton were the best musicals because they're written by people with life experience who are coming from different backgrounds. I've heard really great things about Dear Evan Hansen, and that's something written by young people who don't necessarily have a ton of life experience. Right. But it's a show about a young person, which I think helps. Right. Yeah. I mean, listen, I've also heard good things about Invisible Thread, but like the stuff I heard about it before it came to New York was much better than what I heard about it from people who saw it in New York. Um, 
Which show, David? Invisible Thread, which oh, is the second yeah. stage, which I opted to not see based on um, my limited time. And, and hearing that feedback, that was like not as good as I was anticipating it to be. I still have tickets for Gigantic next week. So like, you're my great hope for this year, Gigantic. Don't let me down. <laughs> I'm not saying young people from Yale can't write good musicals, but it probably has to be about young people from Yale. I agree. It yeah. can't be about like 40-year-old divorcees. No, I agree. Write what you know. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, what was the best play you saw this year? I think we're back at Jack. Yeah, um, I uh, said before the podcast that I was just going to let, I had like three that are sort of equal contention in my mind, but I was going to let my mouth just say one, and here it is. Guards the Taj by uh, Rajiv Joseph. Um, To talk about, um, this actually relates back to like favorite moment at the theater this year, uh, Act 1, Scene 2. Uh, or that transition from scene one to scene two, which I talked about at the time on the podcast, um, is still one of the moments of theater I'll, I will never forget. Um, yeah. It's so extraordinary. Um, Guards of Taj is just, in some ways, it is... Um, the thing that's sort of remarkable about it is that it doesn't, it's not that sort of uh, transformative. It's not breaking any new ground in a huge way. It is just structurally... So tight. The two characters, it's a two-hander, the two characters are so well drawn. Um, it is both personal and deeply geopolitical in its in the scale of its drama. Um, and I just want to see it a thousand times. I'm so glad to see the trend around the country that this is fast becoming one of the most produced new plays around the country. I think as many Americans that can get to see this as possible is nothing but a great thing. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it is, a, it is a show that no matter how many reviews you read or how many people you hear talking about it, I guarantee you, you are not prepared for what this show will do to you viscerally and um, emotionally. You had recommended I saw it, and it, it, I was here on the podcast when you were ranting right. about it, and I went to see it, and you were completely right. It was phenomenal. It's a gorgeous piece of of both sort of traditional American drama, but also kind of a piece as a piece of poetry, yeah, and a piece of sort of and, and theological discussion, discussions of power, and it's just amazing. I love. Thank you, Rajiv Joseph, for that play. Yes. Yeah, I feel kind of the opposite of David. I feel like there was a lot of really great plays this year when I was going back through my list. Like, I did a pretty good job with picking out my plays. Um, but I'm going to go with The Flick. I think it's just a perfect play. Like, it's just, it's a great play. <laughs> Check. Done. Um, but there were so many good plays this year that I saw you guys. It made me really happy. I also went into that world again of interpreting this as a new play. So that removed a view from the bridge revival for me, which I thought was so beautiful. Um, and, uh, and as much as I loved King Charles III, which is so great, I'm coming back to last season and I'm going to say the curious incident, uh, for me, that was the, and we talked a lot about the difference between play and production. And I think it's a really great production and maybe not the best play. I haven't had a chance to read it yet. Um, to kind of see whether those words have the same sort of interpretation as the feels that I felt in that show and in that that visceral uh, visceral experience, but um, but I really loved that production and I love that play and I I um, am still very touched by it to this day. Um, I'm going to go with I had a couple on my list because there were just there really were some wonderful plays this year, but I'm going to go with Small Mouth Sounds mm. um, because I feel like the challenge of that play. <laughs> That's funny. Jack's <laughs> <laughs> making a small mouth sound. <laughs> See what I did? That's best wall, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, to stage an entire work where essentially the characters don't speak 
And I mean, to write a whole play where there's so little dialogue and have it be, you know, these really incredible characters that you understand, that you relate to, that you connect to this entire scenario that you're like, yes, I know exactly where you are. I've been there. Uh, you know, I think she just she invented a world that was really remarkable Um you know, really took a challenge, like took a challenge to herself for writing and succeeded on all levels. And I feel like that's the kind of thing we should be rewarding. Mm. Uh, it's funny. I've been like looking at my list that I made of notes for myself and checking off as each of you have named plays that, oh, I did not see Garden's Touch or Smallmouth Sounds. But um, so I'm going to go with a significant other, which I thought Dave was going to say, and I was glad that he didn't so I could talk about it, uh, which was Josh Harmon's play at the roundabouts off Broadway space this year, uh, in which Gideon Glick played, um, a single gay man who watched all of his friends get married and, uh, dealt with a lot of the anxieties of, um, uh, I think specific anxieties around being a millennial. Um, and, uh, especially in the era of gay marriage when like you, it's like sort of taken away that one like layer of protection you have that sort of allows you to um, say like, Oh, well all of my straight friends are getting married, but that's not available to me. So I don't have to judge myself against them. And now that that's not an option, like the judgment comes harder and um, sharper. Uh, And I just, and despite like not being a millennial myself and seeing the show surrounded by a subscriber base that were, um, you know, a generation or two older than me, it, it was a play that just, hit us all like you could feel the energy in that room of people just like in that story and in those emotions and uh it, it was such a huge step up i think for for Harmon as a playwright from bad jews which i liked but did, didn't quite love the way some other people did and this one i like wholeheartedly loved and there's been rumors that it might come back and i'm really excited about that um, but whether or not it comes back to new york i am sure that this is a play that next year is going to be done at every regional theater and uh it right after be. guards at the Taj, yeah. right <laughs> yeah what a season i mean the truth is like i think we can listen to this episode and basically guess what the seasons are going to be at every regional theater around the country so yeah. Uh, but God, but, that play was so good. Yeah. Although he stole my diary and wrote that play, <laughs> which I really don't appreciate, Josh. I co-signed on those last two. Significant Other, when it was initially called the Franco-Prussian War. I'm glad he changed that title. <laughs> uh, A lot of Franco-Prussian War references yeah. this year in the theater season. And then uh, Small Mouth Sounds, too. I, re- I really love those. But since we're going with new, I won't copy people. I'll go with Eclipsed, which is going to Broadway. Not a perfect play, but a play that deeply moved me. It was refreshing to see a stage of all women of color, directed by a woman of color, written by a woman of color, about Liberia, which is very closely related to America, if people weren't aware of its history and of the conflict that's going on there. So it, it was a play that I saw randomly on a Sunday when I was invited by Hampshire College, which was in town. And they had an extra ticket because the president didn't show up. <laughs> So they gave me the president's <laughs> ticket. And I was sitting next to like Common and <laughs> in the third row, and I was bawling by the second act. So moved. I can't wait to see it on Broadway if I can get a ticket. Hint, hint. Uh, and yeah, I'm looking forward to it. That and the humans. But I didn't get a chance to see the humans because now it's all sold out. Okay, final question combo. What was your personal goal for theater in 2015? Did you achieve it? And what is your personal ambition for theater in 2016? Liz. Well, 
mine was really the easiest of everybody. So I was listening to the episode, as I said. Uh, mine was to get my theatrical shit together. <laughs> <laughs> and it involved like coordinating a calendar and buying tickets more than, I don't know, the day before I want to go see a show um, to avoid being let down that I can't get into any shows. And so I did that this year. And guys, it meant that I got to see Hamilton <laughs> and I saw Lazarus. And it only sucked a little bit buying a ticket three months in advance <laughs> when I don't ever know what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. I'm like so overclumped right now. I'm like, oh, oh my God. I'm so happy for you. You I made a calendar. I made a calendar. <laughs> I did, guys. Um, so then my ambition for the coming year is I want to see some more new musicals. Because again, I, I saw a handful this year. And I really, the ones that I enjoyed the most were the off-Broadway new Things that I saw, I like I, your love, our musical. I thought was great. Um, Songbird was another one I really enjoyed. And so, if the musicals that I like are happening beyond Broadway, then maybe that's where I need to turn my attention instead of going like, Ugh, I don't want to go see Phantom. We'll go see Dear Evan Hansen together. Okay. I have a very similar feeling is because I don't really spend a lot of time exploring new stuff um, beyond Broadway. So. Uh, I didn't make a theatrical uh, goal in 2015 because I wasn't part of the podcast then. <laughs> but um, but no, for for 2016, that's definitely something I want to be doing more of, exploring areas outside of the Great White Way. Um, my goal was to see less theater. <laughs> I failed <laughs> tremendously. <laughs> um, yeah, and I guess my goal for 2016 is I would like to maybe stop chasing Broadway altogether. Um, obviously there's a ton of performance art that I'm really enjoying exploring that I know nothing about. There are tons of artists out there that no idea exists. And I know they've been doing work for years and years and years. And so there's a part of me that really wants to like spend my time chasing that stuff down and also maybe start going to readings because I think I've realized how much is being written. That's not being produced that I'd be interested in because what's getting produced isn't necessarily what's being written. So I want to see more of the theater world. I want to see more of those voices and the only way I'm going to get to see some of those voices is if I start going to readings and apparently just follow Jack around. I can show you the world. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I didn't go back and listen to the episode from last year so you can correct me if I'm wrong but I think that I also had a see less theater goal. No, I no? don't think that's right. Uh. David. I mean, when I say I went back I ignored what everyone else was uh, saying. Okay. I just listened to me. Oh, yeah. Did you take notes? More comedy and more performance art. Oh, so... I would say that I've achieved that goal. Um, certainly more comedy. Like this is the year when I got to know the pit better. Um, I still don't see as much comedy as uh, the folks around this table who are like into comedy, but um, I definitely have done more of that. I didn't, I didn't make it out to any of the like stand up shows that I've been meaning to see, especially like I live like walking distance from some of the best venues. Um, I just need to like Nicole to drag me. <laughs> um, I feel like Night Train is right. Like, you live in Night Train. <laughs> right. So like I need to make that happen, uh, especially now because I'm not working a day job. So like I have no excuse of like, oh, it's late on a weeknight. <laughs> um, so I'm totally want to take oh advantage God, of that. You should be going to Whiplash Fantastic. every Monday. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, performance art. Uh, You know, depending on how we define that, I think also, yes. Like, again, looking at, like, my top ten list, like, at least half of it is stuff that is not, like, typical theater. So I think that's good. Um, So 
I think I need to revise my goal for next year because I thought I, my, my goal had been be more adventurous, but I think I've actually already been more adventurous. Um, so maybe I think my goal is actually to um, read more plays to help fill in some of my gaps knowledge, which is something that I've started in the last month or so. Um, but like Annie Baker, for example, like I saw the flick and I saw John and I have no knowledge of her plays before that. So um, I want to go. Uh, the library has been my best friend for the last couple of months, and I want to like go and read all of her work before. I've been working my way through the complete works of Sarah Rule. I just got that big um, hardcover anthology of Terrence McNally's plays that I'm looking forward to diving into. So uh, so that's it. I want to, like, in addition to seeing plays... Oh, and I've been exploring Chekhov, like, uh, who I was almost totally ignorant of um, before this year. So. It sounds like you have a day job, my God. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. I'm getting over being sick and I'm trying not to laugh. And I'm just looking at Nicole's facial expressions. <laughs> the side eye. <laughs> like some of the sorry, comments. Sarah Rule. Oh, my God. Do you, do you have written down what I said? Or? Yours was, see more shows with movement and less melancholy. Fewer couch plays, fewer family plays. I accomplished that. I saw so many plays at BAM, Bax. Bach, Barishnikov, <laughs> all the bees. You're making brick, these places up. Brick, Jack. All the Bushwick. So, yes. Blah, bleh, 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 bleh. Just the squirrel. Sound. All the content. <laughs> the funk. Oh, you haven't been to the squirrel? Uh, <laughs> so I accomplished that goal. Wait, is that a real place? <laughs> oh. I'll never tell. Oh, my God. We're totally going to start doing theater in my backyard and call it the squirrel. <laughs> Done. Well, I will say, um, so Jerry Shafnisky, who's like production designer who's been everywhere, hosts this Christmas party every year for Juilliard students and alumni is at his place in New Jersey. And he has this like chocolate fondue pot. And the past three years, I've said these things around this chocolate fondue pot, which have turned out to be like magically transformed and happened. <laughs> and so a year ago, it's the oracle. It's the, it's the oracle in the fondue pot. A year ago, I remember there was this woman raving about Paris and traveling. And I said to her, Man, I want to travel more. I have a few plays in London. I would love to be able to go to London for free uh, and to be able to see London theater. And then in June, I was in London, thanks to Royal Court, and seeing a bunch of theater in London for free. So this past December or a few weeks ago, I was around the fondue pot, and I said, I want to go to Europe now. Been to London. I want to travel more in Europe, see more theater in Germany, Italy, of France, and someone purchased me a ticket to go to Laguna, Switzerland around April, and it lands in Milan, and they gave me a few days to travel around, so I'm going to try to travel through northern Italy, France, and Switzerland and see some theater, and at that fondue pot a few weeks ago was a German guy who was in musical theater, who I think was hitting on me, (laughs) who offered to let me stay in his apartment in Zurich, which I will take him up on that offer if I'm there. And a few other people, not for those reasons, but just to actually <laughs> see musical theater in that area and see uh, Swiss theater, although I think that's uh, oxymoron. But no, it's like, not. It's, it's not, not, though. That's okay. the thing. It's not. It's amazing. So I, according to Jack, I need to see Switzerland and see the theater there as well as Italy, France, and Germany. So I'm putting that out there into the magical fondue pot of realizations. Is that fondue pot available for rent? Because I need a husband. <laughs> yeah, next year we're doing this year. over fondue. I feel, like, yeah. I feel like my version of that would be the um, nacho cheese fountain. Stop <laughs> hitting yourself. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. All right, well, let's take a little break. Can I say what mine was? Oh, 
I'm sorry, Dad. <laughs> yes. My apologies. I don't need to. No, I um, just... I'll make it quick. I know we're short on time. Um, uh, what, what, mine last year was see more uh, non-Manhattan theater, like go to the boroughs more. Go to the boroughs, yeah. Um, I pretty much failed at that. I did okay. I didn't... I, I, I made it up to Queens and Brooklyn a bunch. Didn't see anything in the Bronx or Staten Island, though, which I, I would like to re-up on that. Although we'll see, um, but my actually this sounds weird, but my goal for 2016 is to see more theater. Um, it is there. How? How is that humanly possible? Are you I'm, adding I'm more hours in the day? What I'm going to figure doing? it out. I'm going to figure it out. Time traveler. The reason I say that is just because I feel like what, but by, by trying to regulate how much theater I've been seeing this year and like you know actively say no to stuff and like really try to like guard uh, certain sections of my time it's actually making me say no to things that i i, I regret saying no to uh, quite a bit and so i feel like i just need to kind of um i, I kind of need to just spend a year i need to just see an absurd amount of theater haven't like you abs- seen 300 plays this year yes <laughs> yeah but i but but yeah i feel like I, I, there's a way to see more I want to see more. I think Jack has one of those fondue pots that just gives him like a wormhole into <laughs> some extra hours and yeah. he can see everything. Yeah, because I don't want to like, I don't want to, like, you know, say no to certain things in favor of other things. I want to be able to still see all the shows that I have been seeing this year and the types of theater, Broadway, Off-Broadway, but also seeing lots of church basement in Staten Island theater. You know what I mean? Like, I want to be able to do all of that and we'll see if I actually, you know, can. Amazing. All right, break time. Sweet. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of the Maximu Theater and Performance Podcast. You can find us all on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jack is at Jack in Brooklyn. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. Dave is at Nine Daves. Nicole is at Mildly Bitter. David is at It's D. Levy. Aaron is at Aaron Squire. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. We'll see you next week for listener questions on part two of our year-end podcast.